0: Welcome to the Generations podcast where we talk about key issues that divide the different generations and how the church can be a place where we unite. Each week we'll focus on a different issue that we see culturally and discuss how each generation is in a unique place to make a difference. We hope you can make the live class that happens every Sunday morning at Stonebridge Church. Here is Generations.
1: Good morning everybody. Good morning. Uh, so it's fun, Jonathan. This is, I think, the first fourth or fifth of these kind of topical series classes I've done now. And each time I've had to kind of gain a new skill and become something outside of my day job. So, so far as part of these series, I've become an apologeticist, a physicist, a theologian, and now apparently I'm a sociologist as well. So <laughs> we're going to see how this one goes. I'm, I'm a chemical engineer by trade, so social sciences is most not, definitely not my perfect field of uh, expertise but we will see how it goes. I've told a number of people that I was going to be doing this over the last few weeks and I only ever got two reactions. First reaction was the person burst out laughing in my face. The second reaction was to go, you? (laughs) <laughs> so that's why it's probably quite important that I ask my wife to do this one with me as well. Because <laughs> therefore, if I'm going under the bus, she's coming with
2: me. Oh, great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'll, I'll let her give some more introductions about. that.
3: We're going to get it played. Yep. So yeah, just a little bit about us, because it's always good to know where we're coming from and who we are, so we can frame our talk. So this is just a little bit about us. We met in Texas seven years ago, eight years ago, at a summer camp. And we got married a year after, and then we bought our house in the Woodlands, Texas, the year after that. And we love traveling. So, like, we love exploring new cultures, seeing, meeting new people, and coming up with, like, new views on stuff. So I think that will probably be very clear through um, the presentation today. Um, Just some background. And then, so today we're going to recap very briefly the generations, just in case anyone missed last week. And then we're going to go through some considerations for how to view this topic. And then we're going to get into the meat of the topic and look at the trends across the generations. And then we're going to, Jonathan's going to do some unpacking of gender roles before we kind of look at the differences, unity, and then view it um, through the gospel.
1: And just because I think we're already sitting on a potential bomb with this conversation, Going into this, I want to take one aspect off the table and say for the scope of this presentation we're not going to be talking about homosexuality, transsexualism, that aspect of things because I think that could very quickly derail us and I think it's better suited to a conversation another time. We're largely going to focus on the relationship side of things and kind of spiritual gender roles within this conversation.
3: Okay. So just a recap of last week. I get very confused personally with all these generations, X, Y, Z, I kind of think of it as alphabet soup. Um, And so just a brief recap, so generations are, it's defined by your birth year, not your age, so you grow older with your generation. Um, And I think this was a really important thing to note, you can share the same characteristics either side. So if you're born in like the 1970s, you could share the same characteristics as people in the next generation along in the 1980s. But rather than focusing on a particular year, it's important to focus on what is the underlying consistency. And there are three key trends that shape the generations, which are parenting, technology and economics. And I think this is like my key takeaway of how I view all these generation topics, which is it's a starting ground for how to connect with people across different generations and influence people of different ages. So just a fun little graphic of the generations. Um, and they are called different names. You know, iGen, I think, was on the material. But that's also Generation Z. Um, and then Millennials, or Generation Y. Um, and this, the GI generation is called something different in the UK. But importantly, we are focusing the presentation today on the US. So every trend we have here will be related to the US. Um,
1: I think in terms of talking about relationships, realistically, the conversation is going to be about silent boomers, ex-millennials, just because not a lot of Gen Y and Z are getting married, surprisingly, yet, because they're not (laughs) old enough.
3: Um. So to start off, we thought we'd do a fun little um, riddle. So I'm going to put something up on the screen, and you've got to read it to yourself and come up with the answer to yourself, and then we'll talk about it. But don't come up with the answer out loud. And I'm not going to read and it this out this will just be
1: quick. Yeah. <laughs> What's the answer? It's his mother.
3: Yes. You would be surprised how many people read something like this and come up with But why isn't it his father? Is it it his grandfather? Like, you'd be surprised how many people don't go to the mother. And that is something which we want to touch on very briefly, which is your your perspective and your bias. So, I think it's important to note that when we see something like the riddle, we have a snap judgment. You know, whether we come up with the mother, whether we come up with a different answer. And that's based on our background and experience. And... It's important to note that this is largely shaped about who we hang out with. You know, we often hang out with people who are very much like ourselves, that we share common traits with, whether it's age, whether it's gender, whether it's religion. And this can kind of lead us to jump to conclusions we don't necessarily know we're making. And I think it's important to know this in the context of this presentation, because We need to come at controversial topics with an open mind. You know, our view on a topic is shaped through our experiences, but different people have different views, and if they're different, that's okay. Learn why they're different. Come to it with an open mind. And be willing to kind of rethink your own judgment. Just because you've come up with a judgment doesn't mean it can't be changed. Um, So Jonathan's going to go into the
1: next I think if we were to, to lay our hand down immediately, I would say the biases we come in with is we were raised in a different country with a different culture
2: yeah.
1: and we don't have children currently.
2: No.
1: Um, so that that inherently shapes the way we have these conversations and that's why it's been fun to really push myself on this, this presentation. So I'm going to continue laying down caveats for a few more minutes and then we'll start having this conversation because I don't think we can ever do that <laughs> enough. We need to be really cautious with this conversation because it can easily, again, spiral out of control. It's it's deep, What's more personal than talking about who you are in a relationship with, how you interface with people of other sexes? And I think that's inherently because relationships is tied with liberty and freedom and those kind of aspects. And therefore, if you're telling someone that they can't live their life with their relationships the way they're supposed to or you give someone an opinion on that, you're going to upset someone really quickly. Um, And generally nowadays, whereas the benchmark was kind of faith and spiritual-based rules of the road, the new God is what's phrased as personal autonomy, as in being able to do things by yourself without other people impinging on your your morals, your ethics your pain, your freedom, where you live and therefore if we're talking about relationships we're really starting to get in people's personal autonomy so therefore if we're having these conversations we need to make sure that God is the centre of it every single time he is the one that is giving us the guide and that we're having these conversations out of a love and a desire to follow God and therefore again we're going to be talking about things like the roles in households etc and we need to make sure we're saying if we're having this conversation and we're talking about the data no one is looking down on anyone in this room if data or trends are changing we're not assigning value to that i want to make sure we're clear that we're not applying co- co- positive or negative connotations when we're talking about any of the data we're going through and again christ needs to be our primary focus in life not being obsessed about gender roles. <laughs> okay. Yep.
3: So, just some questions to get us started. So, if you turn to the person next to you, and we're going to put some questions up on the board, and just have a chat amongst yourselves, and if you come up with the same kind of answer, think through why somebody of a different gender and/or different generation may come up with a different answer to these questions.
1: We spend so two minutes.
3: Yeah, so the first question is what is the first thing that comes into your head when gender roles is mentioned? Would you say your opinion on gender roles has changed over time and what has shaped your opinion on gender roles? So turn to the person next to you. We'll have a, two minutes just chatting. Hey.
4: Hi. <laughs>
1: more seconds Let's get a baseline on where we're at right now, if I could interrupt everybody. What have you come up with? Give me can I just have a few people give us an immediate train of thought? That would be great. I think what it's brought up, I, I was telling uh and well, Emily, I first
0: think about like how you collaborate in the home and then what it looks like when you serve in the church and kind of that spiritual role of roles, and then lastly the workplace. But I think the workplace one is probably the most urgent conversation for our culture at large because there, there doesn't be a strong disparity there.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. And has your opinion changed over time?
0: Yeah, I think it's been on a trajectory that's been more away from like departmentalization and more towards collaboration.
1: Okay. one more person could give me some opinions, that would be great.
4: I'll be on your opposite side because I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, of course, think of the gender roles as well as the traditional role of man and woman in the house and things like that, or in a relationship or marriage. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, has my opinion changed over time? Somewhat. Uh, I grew up at a time when women were very well defined what they did, and men were well defined what they did, and the two didn't mix. I mean, you know, I go to the family reunion, the wife fixes the plate for the mm-hmm. man and brings it to him. So times have changed. So I tell my wife, just do it faster now.
2: <laughs> Aww.
4: But uh, uh, that's not true. I do have fix fix own. But uh, uh, I, I, I do see where it's more collaborative. Uh-huh. Where you know you start having kids and then the lifestyle that goes on. Before long, you can't operate like it used to be defined, mm-hmm. and it takes both to do that. That okay. has it shaped my opinion on gender roles, certainly the way I was raised and what I've observed. I will say, from my perspective, it's somewhat disturbing for me, but that's just my opinion. It feels like the gender role has become too uh, diluted. Okay. And I think that, uh, you know, sometimes, and don't take any offense, I feel like sometimes this the youngest generation, I feel like I have to want to whoop out and say, hey, where's your main card here? Mm-hmm. So, but
1: okay, <laughs> okay. we've got a, a good range from we just do. two people alone, so I appreciate your honesty. Um, I think that will cut to the heart of where we want to go with this conversation. So, this wasn't just a gender roles talk, it was marriage, it was relationships as well, so let's, let's just spend 10 minutes going through where society seems to be at on relationships, because that's shifting as well. And the number one trend is that the kind of desire and the percentage of people that get married at younger ages is, is, is definitely evolving and changing with time. And I'll say now, we, we said earlier that we were going to be talking pretty much exclusively American here. Pretty much every single slide, the data has come from Pew Research. I think that's probably the most robust way we could do it. I tried looking at a variety of journal articles on it. And when you tended to get journal articles, they were generally university-based and based around the opinion surveys done on university campuses, which is not representative of everything. So I, I kind of I trust Pew more, and therefore they also have really nice graphics, so it helps me out. Um, so what they're saying is when you look at the percentage of people, 25 to 37, who are married, by the time they're 37, that is there tends to be a a decline. People are getting married later and later, and perhaps arguably less people are getting married as well, to the point where it's almost 50-50 at this point for millennials. Obviously, there are many millennials that aren't 37% yet, so I would imagine that stat would be shifted more to the right. Likewise, when you look at the, the opinion of how people perceive the importance of marriage in terms of does it make any difference if you cohabit without being married, or is it just the same, you got, if you look at here, you've got two thirds of people for three of the generations that are basically saying, it doesn't really matter if people permanently live, live together without being married. They're ambivalent towards it. And that's interesting, and I think from a Christian perspective, I think that is something slightly to be concerned about, because you're saying there's not much value to it. but. It's also interesting that the generations seem to be largely moving together. There's a slight shift on this this right-hand side, where they're saying that it's a bad thing if people are living together without being married, but it's it's pretty subtle. You do have this bigger difference with the oldest generation, the Silent Generation. They seem to be a lot more traditional in terms of their views on marriage, mm-hmm. and and I think that that's something that's kind of I've had an opinion on throughout this often when we have this conversation, perception and reality are often two completely different things. Um, carry on please Ruth. I think there's a
5: pretty large economic component to that. Well. You're exactly By necessity, right? So, I mean, you can have roommates and stuff like that, but a lot of times, I think just for splitting finances, especially among millennial and Gen Z, um, you know, you might not want to, well, for one, a lot of people can't afford a big wedding and marriage, so mm-hmm. they delay that. Here's one I
1: made earlier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can you put all the slides on at once, please? Yeah, all the slides. Okay. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I, I think any surveys amongst younger people tends to say that the financial element is the number one yeah. thing. Um, people kind of want three three prerequisites. You've obviously, you've got a growing number of younger people that are going into higher education, and there's the feeling that you should have completed your higher education. Number two, that you've got an established career. Number three, that you have full financial independence. And I'll speak for ourselves, we were very much freaks amongst our friends in that we got engaged while we were still at university, having been going out for five months at the time. <laughs> our families loved that. They
2: did.
1: Um, and then we got married a year later, and the majority of the rest of our friends are only just getting married now, eight years on. And Several of them still seem to have no desire to get married, and I would say, the majority of the time that's because they just don't feel financially stable you do tend to get massive variances in this based on location religion education you know for the, for the case why of, do you
4: think that the fact that you're married means you can't still have the other things I,
1: I, I would say it's a fear that what if one person gets a job and then you're married, and then the other person gets a job the other side of the country. How can those possibly come together? It's the idea that one person may have to make a sacrifice for a few years before you fully line up. I mean, okay. I, my p- perspective was, you've got to slowly work towards it. Think, You're not going to be in your forever job immediately. You've got to work
3: towards it. I have friends it. who were like, well, I want to be a green, or, I want to be a white and we can't. I mean, it's so, yeah. not even just the marriage yeah. aspect, but
6: just the, the ceremonial part. Right. Right. Yeah, right? so they're like, I'm going to save up for that.
1: And I, I would quote one of my friends I directly friends to say, married, yeah. I'm not getting married until I can afford a big enough party. Yeah,
6: that's exactly, I mean it's crazy. Seriously. Yeah. Well, yep. and, and
5: also, I think like this kind of relates to something I heard about. This this was specifically about having children, but there's the cornerstone versus capstone theory. Is your marriage the cornerstone of your relationship? Like, mm-hmm. is it based on that? Or is marriage a goal that you work towards that's mm-hmm. the capstone, right? So. If So a lot of times people see marriage as something to achieve like after all these other things have been, rather than the foundational aspect right. that it is for right. a lot of other people. Yeah. Right. It's a lot of people um, treat children the same way, right? Like, you want know, to have children when you're early, before you're all the way there, or do, is children the ultimate goal? You
1: right, know? right. And, and, and cooked into it all, from all those conversations I've had, the reason they've talked about it as if it was a party is because... When you take away, this, to me personally, when you take away the spiritual element of marriage, it's tough to know what's, what's the difference, what's left to, to that kind of conversation. They don't see a difference between marriage and a long-term relationship. It's the same thing, it's a piece of paper, other than that, is completely arbitrary. And that breaks my heart <laughs> um, as a Christian, but that, that's kind of where those conversations are often at.
4: I feel like it's kind of box checking, too. I mean, you got to check these boxes. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. Right. check all these things on are list. Yeah. So yeah. what happened to that wild,
2: free spirit? Get married and then?
1: We tried to change their minds, and it didn't <laughs> play no. off too much, apparently. I got married at <laughs> 18. There we wow. go. There we go. I'm still married.
4: <laughs> Actually, today is my anniversary, 41 years. Oh, yeah. congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> all right. So where
7: did divorce rates and college debt come into those to you know, say, say his comment because they look back and, and you know, they look back to your parents so, so and divorcing so over the, and over well, and
1: that's, th- think, right? that's that's an interesting one uh, as as a whole the stats tend to say that because people are waiting longer until they have the perfect relationship to get married
2: right. divorce
1: rates among millennials are quite a bit lower than for older generations sure. so that isn't it, isn't it that's interesting right. both kind of a statistic, sense. but no, it does make sense. It does, it's to make a
7: mistake. It's making a mistake. right? So, so what
1: do we do with this? Can I have everything at yeah. once, please, Ruthie? Mm-hmm. We have differing and evolving views on marriage <coughs> as generations. Marriage is becoming, to the wider secular public, an outdated tradition. But well, what's at stake here? It's it's the core of the Christian message here. It's mentioned over and over the importance of marriage in Scripture. You know, be it in Genesis for a, a man and. Fo- shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. But another aspect is we're at at jeopardy here of alienating people. If if church becomes a married people's club, what happens to those people that are single or perhaps not as strong in their faith? We don't want to alienate them in that regard.
3: So kind of thinking through what the church can do, and I think Jonathan picked up on this, There are so many different people in the church from the spectrum, like you can be married, you can be single, you can be divorced, you can be cohabiting, you can be companions and it's to support, not necessarily to judge these people. Um, I think it's important to have a safe space that kind of tackles all of these um, and that your point on the last slide, I think it's reminding what the value of marriage is. You know, if people perhaps don't understand the value of marriage or perhaps it's got lost, it's to understand the value of marriage, but at the same time, not alienate people that are on the spectrum. You know, a lot of people in this room perhaps are married, but actually, there are so many more people out there in the community that are in different um, parts of the relationship spectrum. So a question to think about... I think we're going to have
1: to skip that one in the interest of time.
3: Okay. So we're going to go on to the next bit. Okay, so let's talk about... Someone mentioned children earlier. I think you can't necessarily talk about marriage without talking about children. So let's talk about children Mm -hmm. and um, childbirth trends. The average age of motherhood is increasing as people tend to be having children later on in life. Um... I think it's important to note that it varies based on where you are and your background and your circumstance. You know, for instance, if you look at the stats for Texas versus California, it's going to be slightly different. If you have people who are educated versus not, you know, married versus not, the stats are all um, different. But I think when the kind of important thing to note is when you get to age 44, it tends to be actually similar across the generations. So
1: as, as a whole, the same number of people when you compare the boomers to Gen X, the same proportion by the time they're much older is the same, which is interesting because again I, I would assume if people are having it later they would be less, but currently with those two generations the same number of children are being had. Uh, the same, question is still open as to how that shifts to Millennials. So in, is that the same
5: number of children or same number of people being same parents? Same number
1: of people had being parents. So
5: is that kind of the point of
7: dimension, returns, where like both of those are 2% or something?
3: What's the number that you're... We had it on a slide, we deleted. <laughs>
1: I think I deleted that slide and I don't remember what the number said.
3: <laughs> we deleted it.
1: I'm sorry, I can not be of help on that We can get that to,
3: that to you later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's just go on to see the implications of this. And I think this is like a key theme that we have throughout this presentation, which is to kind of be inclusive you know there's a huge range why people may not have children Um, you know they may be unable to have children they may have lost children um, and they may choose not to have children and I think very much like with relationship spectrum I think we as a church need to support people across the child birth spectrum Um, and that's something that sometimes we kind of may forget about depending on who we hang out with so let's go into unpacking general. Yes.
0: Yeah. What is a way, I guess, to perhaps not do that well?
3: To not do that well? Yes.
0: To, to to not support people who
7: are not able to have children, have lost children, or choose not to have children. And what percentages are those top two? I'm just curious as far as the focus. Oh, of the I terms, don't know. Right? Well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't but know. But I, I would I would like to know what what what's a good way to how do we avoid. I
1: support I, I think that. it's going to, the type of congregation you have in the woodlands compared to downtown Houston is going to be completely different.
3: But and I think I, to answer Josh's point, you know, for instance, it's not having, not that we do this, it's just like an example. Yeah, yeah. You know, not having, you know, every women's event around children or having it in the middle of the day so people who perhaps, you know, are working can't attend. You know, it's that feeling of not making it, you have to be one element, like you can't be a woman in the church if you don't have a child. You know, because to the point, you may have had miscarriages, you may have lost a child, you may just be unable to have children. And does that make you any less of like a Christian woman because you don't have a child? No, and therefore it's kind of being inclusive rather than exclusive, is what I think. Um, Which I think the church is nearing more towards. Um, But it is difficult, like there's no answer to this. Um, which is why I think sessions like this, it's important to talk about it. I think that is perhaps step number one. Talk about it, raise awareness, um, and then step two is probably to do something a little bit more. Um, yeah.
0: Just to add to that, my wife is the children's minister of church <laughs> um, and I can tell you for a fact it's a premium on designing programming for the families with kids because that's the population you want to serve. But. It's also, because that's such a strong emphasis, sometimes we don't always balance it out with programs for people who don't necessarily have kids. So I, I think it's it's a question of, you know, whether from, like, who's who feeling a volunteer call to, like, design a ministry for people who are just single or who are adults without kids? Or what kind of programs do we do? I think it's a question of what do we put our emphasis in timeline of church? Yeah. And that's always a challenge. It no. All
3: right.
1: I guess. Let's get into the reason you're all here. (laughs) Let's get controversial. Um, So the core of this crux is two words, definitions that kind of put the two camps on the table. So you put those both up. And the two phrases we're going to be using a lot is the idea of complementarianism versus egalitarianism. And the, the church-based definition of these is, is what we have here. Complementarian would be the theological view that although men and women are created equal in their being and personhood, they're created to complement each other via different roles in the church. Whereas an egalitarian the- theological view would be that not only are all people equal before God in their personhood, but there are no gender-based limitations on what functions and roles each can fulfil in the home, church and society. I would say the egalitarian view does also account for the fact that there are biological differences, it's saying, other than the biological differences. To me, the key thing we need to take from this, if you were to sum up them both, it would be different but equal and the same but equal. Egalitarianism also has kind of a dual definition because the wider secular society would would translate it not in a theological way. And if you search egalitarian on Google, it would say relating to or believing in the principle that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities. I would argue that both of those fulfill that definition. But we've got to be careful that the phrase egalitarian and complementarian does have multiple definitions. And my hint to what's going ahead is that's the problem. But let's keep breaking it down. The heart of this conversation from a church based conversation would generally be what's said in a few of largely Paul's letters, in particular Ephesians 5, and there's a section in 1 Corinthians as well, perhaps thrown in with some lines from Genesis as well. And that's what he talks about in terms of spiritual gender roles. So you have this one here, but initially. For this talk, I wanted to sit and break down and discuss this scripture. I listened to somewhere around 10 hours of podcasts, sermons, lectures, journal articles on this, and I, I rapidly learned there's no chance whatsoever of me properly breaking this down. It's, it's a nuanced piece of scripture. I think there's all of awesome stuff in there. There's a lot of depth in there, but I don't have time to break it down right there. To me, the important thing is The drive of the scripture is talking about spiritual gender roles. As in how, in terms of discussing faith and spirituality and leading a family in faith, that's what the conversation is. This kind of scripture, funnily enough, it wasn't in the Bible to talk about who did the mowing, who did the car, who does the laundry. That's in the camp of gender stereotypes. We are talking in scripture about spiritual leadership and spiritual gender roles and we need to make sure we don't mix those two up. And I'm about to bang on about that for 10 minutes now. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's continue to break that down. Everything at once if you can.
2: Yep.
1: Why is this potentially a problem if we're talking about spiritual leadership? Well, as I'm sure every one of you knows, the second we start talking about gender differences Everyone immediately tightens up and we're on the cusp of an argument within about five minutes, hopefully not today. It's kind of perceived that any time we have a conversation about gender-based differences, we're being discriminatory, we're not being open, we're being bigoted. So things escalate quickly and also it kind of combines that age-old problem in every country, what happens when you combine religion and politics interesting conversations come out inevitably. (laughs) So, why is it important we kind of have and are aware of this conversation as a whole? Uh, I would say, if we get this wrong and we communicate it wrong, people are going to assume that the church is immediately patriarchal and we lose moral authority. People are going to shut down immediately the ongoing assumption that you generally get amongst secular people is that they can be, not only can you be good without God, you can be more moral without God and that's incredibly problematic so if we lose that moral authority by talking about this incorrectly you're immediately going to be writing off potentially a generation from coming to church, so we need to be treading incredibly carefully otherwise we're going to cut the ears off, people are going to do this I'm not gonna to come to church. So let's, let's be diplomatic here and try and have the conversation correctly. And in getting into that, I think we've got four kind of key things that I think help with that. Number one is the one I said earlier. Gender roles and gender stereotypes are not the same thing. If we mix them up, we're gonna be in trouble quickly. It is non-biblical to back up the traditional gender stereotypes that we would think of when we use the word gender roles Number two, patriarchy and complementarianism are not the same thing. I think patriarchy can easily happen as a result of misinterpreting or taking scripture too far. And I think it's a it's a pretty kind of cause and effect thing we can follow throughout history as to how that happened. But what scripture would really tell us that again, men and women are equal and we need to live our relations out ships out equally, faithfully and lovingly and that is the, the the way that Jesus would teach us and if we're talking about this I, I think it would be silly and flippant to start saying that we can't have women that lead
2: Come
1: <laughs> spiritually whatsoever or in the family because that's clearly not what scripture shows us, we have countless cases of women throughout scripture that are in leadership roles p- women that are f- faithfully serving, people that are pushing forward the church in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we can't take lines that would say women are shut out completely, because that's clearly not the example we're shown in the Bible. So we have context, we have nuance throughout this conversation. What have I got next? Uh, data. But again, we're, we're talking spiritual but society is thinking about something completely differently when we're having this conversation. So before we start trying to pull them together again, where is society going when we talk about gender equality and egalitarianism? What What is really happening in the real world if we separate faith from this conversation? Ruthie,
3: really? No, you can do this one. No, you're good. All right. Um, so I think it's important to note that attitudes have become more uh, gender equal, as shown by kind of the graph, which I know is very difficult to read. So this
1: one here on is right. it's proportion of respondents to survey that say an egalitarian view is preferable to a traditionalist view.
3: Yeah. Um, and in particular, it's becoming more acceptable, I don't know whether everyone can see this, it's becoming more acceptable to have kind of both parents working, um, which is shown by the graph on the bottom here, and polls of The more younger generations, the generations X, Y, and Z suggest that they want more of of kind of an equal split in marriages. Um, So continuing on looking at the differences, so there are a few differences with how generations view gender roles. And I think to what Jonathan was saying earlier, it tends to be very similar with the generations until you kind of get to the silent generation. And then again you see here the silent generation has more of a traditional viewpoint um, in answering this question.
1: But you know, the whole purpose of this conversation and series was what are the generational differences? Often there aren't them. Often society's views as a whole have morph and evolve with time but they move collectively rather than there just being there is always a difference between each age demographic. We move together often, and that, I think, is a bit surprising sometimes.
3: So looking at another set of statistics, which is, you know, whilst on paper, like you said, um, we're perhaps moving, in terms of the proportion of kind of houses when you have stay-at-home Mothers, there was a shift back in the 1960s to 1980s and actually this hasn't changed much since. Um, And the graph on the right shows whilst you do get stay-at-home fathers and it's slowly increasing, it's still a very low proportion.
1: So again, so you you have an idea that the overall cultural view when you talk to people is doing one thing, it's going way more pro-egalitarian. When you look at how culture is changing as a whole, it's not necessarily doing so. I read an article, and it was a New York Times article, and they were saying, sure, millennials on paper, when you ask them what are they gonna do when they get to marriage, they say, oh, we're both gonna be working. When you're actually looking at where millennials tend to be going, they tend to be slotting back into the more traditionalist gender roles as a whole, which which is interesting because, again, where society's going compared to where attitudes are doesn't necessarily line up. and I want to make sure my tone is clear on this I, I don't I want to prescribe any value to any sort of family outcome Everyone does their own thing differently Everyone's family goes forward in either way And I think the data shows that you can have successful Extremely successful families being produced from any structure you like Be it the predominantly stay-at-home mother situation Or where you have both mothers parenting But it's, just, it's kind of interesting to see where the data is going on that and therefore, you know, back to that, that idea of you know, dad in the, in the garage doing the car and the mother doing the laundry. It's kind of interesting to see where that's going as well because it's, it's more of a subtle shift. I've got two graphs here on how men and women spend their time. And there's been a little bit of a shift, especially for, for working women. You tend to find that women are, are doing, spending less hours around the house doing chores and more hours at work and that men generally are doing more work around the house, the shift isn't that large, really, compared to what I think it could perhaps be. And you therefore see there is still a significant difference between how men and women carry out functions in your typical household, which again is interesting.
7: So so your takeaway Mm -hmm. from Mm this, your bottom line, Mm -hmm. What is driving that perception? In the, if, if, if the facts don't warrant what we hear in the media,
3: mm-hmm. obviously an agenda in the media.
1: Hey, can you guess the next one? Yeah, this one. T- to, to some degree, I, I, I would be willing to argue that perhaps the legislation and support network to do that is not necessarily in place. It's only been the last two or three years where many countries have started implementing things like paternity leave. you know for example in the UK a year and a half ago they changed the maternity leave laws. The, the traditional time has always been nine months maternity leave in the UK. They've now changed it that that, mater- that nine months can be split between the man and the woman however they like. You could do the woman for the first four and a half months, the father for the second four and a half. That's just too recent to have any long term impact. I know maternity leave and paternity mater- leave is obviously significantly less in the US as well. So, again, I just don't think that kind of support is there to see a realistic shift. It's just more practical when you have in the US what eight weeks, to eight to 12 weeks maternity leave. The mother's still going to be struggling and. For those, just biologically speaking.
7: So you're saying there's there's governmental pressure, if you will, that's kind of kept that in. Yeah, that's
1: that, that. To reason. me, I th- I think that would be the biggest cause of that.
7: a socialist type. Right,
1: right. But but in terms of the tasks relating to stereotypes, I couldn't answer that. I don't know. Whether it's just it's a very slow evolution, um, and I'm kind of open to it. There are other people's opinions on that. Um, but as a whole, if there is change, it is incredibly slow and it doesn't necessarily line up. Well, the last chart, like it says,
5: you know, then it was two and a half mm-hmm. per week, you know, and then it went to eight. That's an extra hour a day that his dads
1: are
5: spending with mm-hmm. their children. And that's a lot, really,
1: to me. I, and I think that's fair. I think that's, it, that's it's fair. Two,
5: chart, hour, yeah. yeah. Is, I mean, that's well, yeah. And it's, it's also hard to, like, I mean, we're classifying two different generations of two different. Comp- economic circumstances, right? Mm. So I think ideally, if you talk to most families, if they can get by on a single income, I mean, everybody, almost right. universally right. would right. want the mother to, to stay home, right? But it's, right. Just, it's kind of an economic reality of the millennial generation that that's less commonplace. Not to say it doesn't exist. Um, and I think probably, if, if I had to guess, a lot more mothers would want to Stay in the workplace, and mm-hmm. maybe they don't want to be stay-at-home moms forever. But for those first few years of life, I think almost every—it's a universal goal to have the mother right. home. Right, home.
1: right. I, I, dangerous I
5: words? I'll tell you, though, uh, okay. that's dangerous words.
1: As a,
4: universal, yeah. every, uh, all the mothers. Yeah. No. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I'll tell you, I worked for a
2: 1450
7: company, and we implemented 12, 14 years prior to my retirement. Um, the maternity, mm-hmm. and it wasn't that nobody took advantage of it. Not nobody, but the vast of attorneys, sorry, the vast majority did not even take advantage of it, and that was the takeaway. Was it because was of, it paid or was it just guaranteed? It was paid. It was, it was a guaranteed job. It was it was very very nice. But the mm-hmm. bottom line is, moms and dads mm-hmm. wanted to get back in a routine. You can call it work if you want.
5: But they wanted to get back in that routine. Well, and you typically, with people. Like, I don't Well, and especially like what I'm, I'm this is all an assumption, but like in a fortune fifty country you don't necessarily want to lose your foothold on a whole career ladder. Right? Yes. By taking that so it's like they can they can make all the promises in the world, like oh you're gonna have your job when you come back, we're not gonna look at you differently. Right. But I think a lot of working women understand that like anything they put towards motherhood is potentially, you know, a, a liability when it comes to yeah. their career, especially if they want yeah. to be yeah. upwardly mobile.
1: I, I, I.
8: I'm going to be controversial probably in saying this, but it's the truth. And I was a working mom, right? But I do think my generation, we have a certain standard of living that mm-hmm. we want. And we have made that choice, mm-hmm. a lot of us, over our children. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say that, but I think it's true. I, think I would rather have right. this house and mm-hmm. this community with these schools than I would just sort of suffer, if you will, a lower income mm-hmm. life. And I think that is a choice that we've kind of made as a younger generation that I didn't see my parents
1: mm-hmm. make. So I guess what we're getting at it, it's complicated, and there are so many different social factors that make it very hard to make one size fits all statements.
2: Yeah.
1: Can, I, yeah.
0: can I make one observation? Give yes. you are quick. This is the first time that we had a lady in the audience and a statement. Most of this conversation has been driven by the guys in the
2: room. Welcome to Jimbo's last night. Do you, <Me. laughs> <laughs> you, you want to skip? Do <laughs> talk um. well, <laughs> hey. What do you want to skip? Yep.
1: Next, <laughs> one. <laughs> next, <laughs> one. <laughs> next one. <laughs> <laughs> next one. <laughs> <laughs> next. Yeah. Okay, we'll so not in the front row. Maybe not in the front
3: row. You skip that one. That's fine. Skip that one. Yep. Communication
1: issues? Yep. No, the, if you could put this one at once. this, this is one. One. So this, this is what I really want to get at. The church... And scriptural line on this is again talking about spiritual gender roles and how we share faith in our families and how we teach our children. The rest of society when they're talking about egalitarianism thinks immediately gender equality, they think the stereotypes. So we have a major potential communication issue here on our hands that can go badly quickly and I'm, I'm gonna perhaps again reveal too much about my own personal experience and mindset on here and give an example of my own ignorance that shows how this can play out. I I personally became a Christian when I was 22. I was a very staunch atheist prior to that and I've discussed that in several of my previous talks but therefore when I moved to the US and we we were trying to find a church, I was fairly new in my walk at that point. We were shopping around churches trying to find the one that we found best pick does. And there was one church in particular we went to. We thought the sermon was pretty decent. We might want to get involved. At that church, like many, you then get given a piece of paper that requires you to sign up. On that piece of paper, where it say, it didn't just say name of the two the family members, it said male, brackets, head of household, write your name here, and then spouse. Why would you do that? I had a I I don't know how to describe that other than I had a visceral reaction to that. I said they're a bunch of sexist pigs and I walked out. I'm aware now that's not what they were talking about. They were talking about something completely differently. But to me as someone new to that conversation, unaware of that conversation, my brain immediately went where society went. So therefore, I think if the church is going to use phrases like head of household, we need to be really careful about it because it's difficult. I I think, you know, we talk about the idea of core doctrine, as in the parts of Christianity that if you remove them, our faith doesn't exist. Things like, do we believe that Christ came to earth and died for our sins? To me, if you're putting it on a form like that, you're elevating the spiritual conversation about gender roles. To core doctrine. So I think as a whole, churches need to be careful with that. I have no idea how Stonebridge handles it personally.
5: Okay. Uh, I, a, a quick question. I mean, my my reaction was like, kind of similar to yours. Not, not that I, was, I would be necessarily offended by saying that, but it, it seems so unnecessarily... And, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair. You know, um, I wouldn't say confrontational, but like I mean, I don't
1: know. Maybe they just want to be like very open and forward with, yeah. with that discussion, but they, they just mean spiritually out of household, right? I, I, I would say so. I would say so. And in all honesty. Right, right. I mean, that's, yeah. No, I mean, I'm. I'm I, and therefore, again, I said earlier, I didn't spend the time on that scripture. I think there's a number of, we all know, the Bible isn't always clear cut, it's really easy to take out of context. These kind of verses are some of the ones that are very easily cherry-picked by people that they put them in a bubble and say, therefore, the church has no authority. I think the church as a whole could do a a better job at not being afraid of these types of pieces of Scripture, trying to have, perhaps, classes like this where we we pick them apart and better arm Christians to have these conversations and understand the more difficult verses. Because if we try and hide it when we try and have these conversations... We're going to end up looking like idiots and we're going to end up putting people off. We're going
2: to have to.
1: Okay, I think we're almost there. But again, to come back to that original point, when we're talking about those spiritual roles, the important thing that we get back to every time, if you're going down this kind of complementarian view, is the but equal, but equal. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, women, he created them. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. We are all Christ's children, we are all one in Christ, and we are equal to him. And we need to make sure that is the crux of any time we have this conversation whatsoever. And it's some food for thought. This this has been something I've been wrestling as a result of something in, in our own private life. We can't afford to write off women as spiritual leaders whatsoever, because the data suggests nowadays that men are 10 to 20% more likely to be atheistic than women are. If we're telling women they can't lead in faith and spiritually, what's going to happen to them? 10% 10 of the population, how many millions of, of women is that going to be that are in relationships and married to men that don't share their belief in Christ? We can't. Raise them and saying, "You're not allowed to do that because what happens when the female is the only person that believes something in their family?" So I think that's that's a generation we need to make sure we look after and we support, and therefore in having this conversation, we need to make sure we cater it to them. I think What's the ages on that, one? that is a great question. I, I would think it, it would be just overall. It was overall. I think it, it was a
3: 2018 study. I think it looked. Because I think ignored that ignored the could, GI generation, but it looked at silent upwards and ignored Generation Z. But I think it. Did. I,
1: I would be willing to bet that split amongst millennials could be even worse. Well,
2: on Generation Z, it isn't worse.
3: So yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, we couldn't find one that told you which it was split. So just some questions to kind of go away with, have a think about, um, which is. You know, what has this talk made you think about on the topic, what could the church do differently? You know, we're in here, we want to learn more, but also how can we use what we've been talking about to help where we are at the moment of the church do things differently? And what is the best way to have these conversations? Um, I think having these conversations is the starting point, but how can we have these conversations? And
1: um, that's kind of open forum at this point. Yeah.
3: You know, I think it jumped out at being and more as you're talking,
7: um, he didn't hit the, the conversation head on. You know, two different, uh, you know, two different really should be hanging out. Mm-hmm. Well, he headed the discussion straight toward living water. Um, and leadership, I kind of see the same thing. You know, yeah, we, you know, you don't have to have head on conversation and like, say, you know, head of household, whatever jargon you want to go around. But there's a, there's a leadership that, that I follow. That's very interesting and, and open up the discussion of, of where I get my leadership from. And if that's people who are, from the that discussion can take place. Nobody is, is stopped from having no. that I
4: think our flipping attitude about marriage and it's just a piece of paper type thing is a problem because when I read the Bible, uh, it clearly talks about how important marriage is to God. Mm-hmm. So much he likens it's the relationship between Christ and the church. right Now I can't imagine anything being more important than that and that, and he describes that as a marriage. And in fact, a marriage is not just vows, it is a covenant which if you read a covenant is more than just hey, I'm making a commitment. this is a you know a lifetime thing. And I think we've gotten to where we just uh, ignored that piece of how God views marriage and how important it really
3: is. I don't necessarily think we've ignored it. I think maybe people need reminding of it, you know, and that's why having conversations like this yeah. is like, key. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, mm-hmm. go oh, no,
6: no. ahead. Shorter where, you <laughs> <laughs> where you, where he was suggesting, you know, when you have a conversation like this, you want to boil down to the one thing that you guys can agree on, that two mm-hmm. people can agree on, or whoever it is. You know, what is it? What is one thing that I can say of, about your argument that I completely agree with? And you know, finding a way to get down to that. Here's the meat of mm-hmm. this argument, be it gender roles and marriage, <coughs> and parenting, like. And I think I think there's there may be some some meat to theory versus practice. Mm-hmm. Millennials in theory want to say you know well we you know gender roles of parenting we can do 50 50 workplace we can do 50 50 that kind of thing. But when it comes down to it, parenting a child is the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. True. And if two people are going to be going to work, you have to understand they're going to have to be. A, big concessions that are made in order to raise the kids mm-hmm. the way you need to raise them. Mm-hmm. And you know, kind of just boiling down to that one thing. Here, marriage is hard work. It's the hardest thing. Parenting is gonna be the, the hardest mm-hmm. thing you ever do. Um, so yeah, like getting to those. The 80, 20 things. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
5: Um, go, go back to what he was kind of talking about in the mm-hmm. flipping attitude towards marriage do you would you would I be safe to assume that like the overall attitudes towards marriage being like an outdated tradition maybe track with um, less religious affiliation overall with that generation like what I'm saying is I don't think it's like people in the church that are having. can, you, can you get that I think it's so it's like you kind of have to separate Can
1: you get the slide up on... Be careful
5: when you say church because...
1: I had a slide with graphs on that. It was about slide nine. Baptist or
4: something. We yeah. live in Texas. Which is... There's a whole host of other Which denominations one? or in other states where... Yeah, can you get that one up? Their view is... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot less conservative is what we find here. Probably tracking
5: more towards the, yeah. the second. No.
1: I had some data I didn't talk through. Mm-hmm. You had here a uh, percent of adults that are married. 18 to 29. It's like 11% for atheists. Whereas, uh, evangelical, close to 25. Mormon, way higher. So there is definitely a big slant yeah, in so that the, data currently. set because of that.
5: So it's not necessarily like... If you separate the... Um,
1: Financial stuff. Well, no, the
5: local uh, idea of marriage and mm-hmm. just the you know, legalistic, contractual, mm-hmm. outdated tradition form of marriage that a lot of people are seeing it as. It's... Um, I think what I'm trying to say is that the problem maybe isn't attitude towards marriage, it's the attitude towards religion. the church in, in religion yeah, yeah. in general. Or at least they're you know, not going to get their value about marriage from, from the, authority the, yes. 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 About the authority of Scripture. Because they don't care about the authority of Scripture. Overall, yeah. because it's just, I mean, and I don't know the statistics for that, but I assume that's kind of trending downward, too. And not even just in the U.S., but like Western Europe as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of that. I think it, it raises
0: good point that we can't assume the people we meet who are not part of our religious tradition are going to view these things the same way. Mm-hmm. And we True. need to be ready to build that bridge and not have someone blocks like language that we think is clear ahead of household mm-hmm. which means something very different to somebody else. I think it requires us to live very wisely in the world. Mm-hmm. Scripture never changes so even that verse of Genesis
6: still describes what God implemented as, as a union of husband and wife. So you can interpret that any way you want but it's it's God's Word, just like our DNA he created us, it hasn't changed. Regardless of what people think can be changed, you can make, or what, what you feel about your gender, um, it's Scripture. It's God's Word. And that's that's the, the way I view it.
4: that. that I was honestly surprised at how closely the generations tracked about their opinions about...
2: It's interesting, issues. isn't it? you yeah. think
3: it's so different. Isn't it doesn't that, that surprise
4: me as much because when I was younger, we thought sometimes like... The young generation does now, mm-hmm. but life experiences tell you that's not really practical. Yeah, but they—they right. the 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 change. The are
0: tracking mm-hmm. kind of the same way.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, like, yeah they feel the testing. same way now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like so, so your generation and my generation feel the same way now about, about virtually almost the same about very specific things. I thought
7: that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's well, very interesting cause say, the world. Sorry. Yeah, I'll say when I was younger, I—it wasn't family,
0: wasn't uh, my. But the graphic we showing the graphic so was showing back like, there, you know, mm-hmm. people this age maybe
6: it isn't, you know, when they're younger. Yeah. But as they get older mm-hmm. and go through and meet the one they want to marry and their love of their life and all of a sudden now they want kids, I was the same way. I didn't want a big family when I was younger, but then I met him and I wanted a big family. And so it changes.
0: Well correct me if I'm wrong. It was the graph showing how those generations currently perceive are you yep. perceiving this thing? Yeah. I believe so, so, yeah. it's not even, it's yeah. not even, it's not even it's reflecting object. back on kind of how you thought. It's like how you actually feel at the, that. At
1: this time stamp right. now. Yeah. But
0: I think
6: village. that has to do with, like, when you practically start living a life, you see that your ideals change. Like, when you're younger, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. But when you get married or have kids or advance in your career or whatever it may be, practically speaking, your ideals have to change to make life actually work. And so I think that's why... It was designed. this way God originally designed this in Scripture to operate this way and to function this way. And so, at the end of the day, we're still going right. Because, like at so 23, twenty-three, I didn't think I was going to be a stay-at-home sure. mom. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I teach high school. Would okay. have never thought that I would have did that. Yeah. So all mm-hmm.
7: so, well, those discussions, great. So, what are your top three recommendations for the church to address this?
1: I think we need to stop being ashamed of those core verses and actually have an open conversation about them. And I know that conversation doesn't necessarily lend itself to a Sunday sermon, but looking at Josh, I think we should have a series on difficult scripture. I think
8: what's funny is, so when all this came up, your first impression was nervous because it was going to be negative and you hoped it wouldn't be negative. Well, what if the church kind of changed that? What if you celebrate what the verses say about men and women and marriage instead of, I have to tread lightly here. I think if you start coming at it from a more positive point of view of the things God gave you to have in your life, the special things that he has allowed us to have, like marriage, I think it would change our feelings on it as opposed to, this can be uncomfortable. Well, But there's a lot of beauty in what he's given us and what the Bible has, has told us about you know our life here on earth and our life after we pass. But I just think sometimes we come at it because the world is so negative. We're even starting to do that about the Bible, like. You know, yeah, and I, that, I think you know, I
1: think it's not confined to this. Yeah. You know, it's it's not easy to say I believe there was a a man who was God that came to earth, was killed, and then came back as a zombie before going back to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it's so easy to reduce them to being flippant. And there are many aspects of Scripture that you can reduce flippantly, but yeah, we need to be not ashamed in those conversations, explain that we believe that they're not just things we don't have blind faith. We have faith that is based in objective study of the Bible and Scripture that we've done throughout our lives that we've done our best to understand the full picture that Scripture shows us and that it is logical the way we understand the world. And therefore we shouldn't be Ashamed of it.
7: Well, Alexis, like it's referring to fear that's mm-hmm. really crippled our
1: church, and mm-hmm. I'm talking our, our body mm-hmm. in general. And your point is exactly right.
7: I mean, you got to know who you're talking to in church in order to be a stance in many areas for fear of, of incrimination and so forth. I think our our leadership of our church is something that, that you know attracted us to Steve, even back when he was a second Baptist singles minister when he had
2: red hair. Um, the boldness that he was getting from Ed Young to step up and not be afraid of this world and take it on.
7: Now, mm-hmm. Ed Young had unlimited financial resources to fight anybody mm-hmm. off, you know, that, that came in. But that boldness attracts both Christians and non-Christians. Mm-hmm. People are searching out there mm-hmm. for a bold right. answer. Right. Right. And it's not, I'm not saying Steve or Ed Young is mm-hmm. the answer, but they're telling people who the answer is. One mm-hmm. well, answer, we know that. Mm-hmm. But it has to come through, and that
1: boldness has disappeared. And right, it, I and, know, and I uh, it's here. going to go back to your original question about what what's the takeouts. I think it's also that we need to be the ones that take a stand and say, "Hey, we are not in favour of stereotypes," right. and in fact, uh, the word argues that we should have more regular, transla- non-theological translation of egalitarian relationships than the rest of the world, that we should be in favor of having loving, open relationships where there is no judgment, there isn't stereotypes. And that that's the Christian message, rather than perhaps the the traditional view of the world that has crept in over the last few years, and that we are really the most progressive if you follow Scripture to its word. Think
0: about books of ancient wisdom. I was thinking about it, he talked about examples of women who needed the scripture when you look at the Hebrew Bible you have named books of scripture like Ruth or Esther you're talking about women of faith who made a difference uh, and that, I think that's amazing when you compare it to the canon of the ancient world that's definitely part of our beginning. I think that's worth thinking of. it's a great reminder
1: whenever you hear the I, I love hearing the kind of historical standpoints for defending the resurrection um, I really like, you know, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ. And one of the ones that the the historians come up with that over and over is, are you aware how much it doesn't make sense that it was women that went to the tomb and found Jesus who wasn't there? That immediately, given that culture at the time, was absurd. You wouldn't trust a woman to make a decision like that or to be the person that was the witness. They weren't qualified for it. And the fact that that is there in history is such an inconvenient truth that really suggests the credibility of Scripture, and therefore I think it's awesome how often Scripture really shows the importance and the value in women that was perhaps counterintuitive to the culture at the time. That it was Scripture that was really trying to push us forward in the way we were supposed to go all along. So.
2: Yeah. Yep. Does that? It? Yep. We can. We can end. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for all the open feedback. It's. I have really enjoyed this conversation, everyone's been fantastic, so thank you so much for the discussion and contributions everyone's Great. made.
2: Thanks.